Okay, so we're ready to go uh, whenever you fancy. Welcome back to the Four Idle Hands podcast. Welcome back, Terry. Welcome back, Stuart, our guest for the night. Yeah, welcome back, everybody. Welcome to Stuart from uh, Fierce Brewing Company. <laughs> yeah, and, and House of Charlatan as well, obviously. Yeah, House of Charlton, obviously not at this minute, because I'm actually in his ex-bedroom at the minute, so but that's fine. <laughs> yeah, don't know if you're um, celebrating any Jubilee, Terry, but we, we need, uh, in our little news roundup, we'll be talking about Platy Jubes, uh, we'll be talking about uh, Nicholas Sturgeon and Independence, Boris Johnson dangling by a thread, uh, we've got Mick Jagger having COVID. Oh, I know, and, disaster. Um, Stuart's also going to tell us a wee bit about Fierce Brewing, who've got a new gaff out in Dice. Uh, our main interview tonight is with Alan Stevens, who is our eyewitness for the ABBA voyage. You, you would say voyage rather than voyage, wouldn't you? Or voyage, maybe in Norwegian and Swedish, maybe. I don't know. What's yeah. It be? Uh, so uh, Alan was at the uh, one of the press previews for the ABBA experience down in E17, and he'll be telling us all about it. Uh, we've also got a bit of an Aberdeen theme tonight, haven't we? Not just with Fierce uh, Brewing, but also um, you guys have seen a bit of the new art stuff, which has ah, just kicked yep. off. Absolutely. And That's we've good. got uh, the Little Kicks new single, and Stuart's going to tell us a wee bit about Kendrick Lamar's new album. And we'll have a couple of gig reviews, including The Smile, Kasabian, and uh, I suppose you'd probably call it Johnny Depp with Jeff Beck. I, I think you probably would actually. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I I didn't follow. It. Well, we'll come back a bit. Actually, we'll come back to that a bit. So, let's let's get straight into it with Nicola Sturgeon again. She's she's back on the podium. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, this has been brewing for some time, and uh, I, I think um, uh, they've obviously been carrying out lots of uh, market research to see how people feel about independence in uh, in Scotland. And uh, I guess they must have been hearing the right kind of things, Terry. Well, if, nobody um, asked me. Nobody <laughs> asked me either. <laughs> nobody. Well, I don't think they're that keen on uh, the opinion of anybody in Aberdeen, frankly, um, because uh, nobody votes them. No, that's true. And I saw her on the podium today, she had Patrick Harvey there beside her. Um, so obviously give her a bit of support because obviously they, they need them to get that through in the Scottish Parliament. But... I mean, she says she's going to do it. Well, it's the right time or not. I guess only time will tell, but she's certainly going to go for it, I think. Um, and she's going to target uh, Stuart's age group, I think. So you're going to get the heavy rotation of um, pushing Scottish independence and freedom and Braveheart and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. Um, but Anybody over 12 will be able to vote, apparently. Yeah. I did see a funny comment this week, though, on social media. It was just yesterday. So a press and journal journalist had commented that STV had asked a very cheap question to this First Minister was, what will we see first, Scottish independence or a new ferry? <laughs> so, and I replied to the guy, this guy, Neil, who's he's quite reasonable. I said, oh, that's quite a good question, though. And um, then somebody else piled on the back saying, well, nobody really cares about ferries. It's just, a, it's just the media, the BBC are bringing us up. And I replied saying, well, you know, if you live in an island, it is important. Um, and then I kind of snowballed because, as I know, anytime you, you mention social or on social media, you mention independence, you get everybody piling into the back of that argument. So I had to just kind of back out of that one very quickly, so to speak. Yeah, uh, I, um, I I'm kind of a bit ambivalent about it. I don't I, I don't um, have a problem with independence per se, but no. 
my problem is with the SNP because um, they have failed at uh, quite a few of the, the sort of basic tasks that you're requiring of government, which is basically to uh, make sure people are well educated. They keep on claiming that the Scottish workforce is fantastically well educated, but I have my own ideas about that mm. is that uh, uh, you've obviously got quite a few overseas student in, uh, students in universities in Aberdeen, Glasgow and Edinburgh. Mm. And uh, they all bugger off once they've graduated. So, I mean, I, I think it's um, they, they need to concentrate on, you know, proving to people that the country can be governed independently. They're not doing mm. it well, either at a local or a national level. And for that reason, I wouldn't vote for it because I don't want to encourage them. Some, somebody in my work today, uh, we talked about it this morning, said, because they talked about, obviously, we got, because they all know where I'm from, Northern Ireland, so they talked about Michelle O'Neill and Sinn Féin. And they said Nicola Sturgeon is going to follow the Sinn Féin model that was used in Ireland for independence. And I thought, I oh, really hope not. Um, so there's going to be the Scottish Nationalist Army reforming shortly with blockades, <laughs> blockades in the border, and dear knows what else sort of things. So, no, I, yeah. I have the same as you. I'm fairly. Uh, I don't. My you know, independence is for the Scots. I'm not Scottish. Stuart would say you are Scottish, Stuart. I would say I'm Scottish. Yeah, of course, of course you are. So, but for me, you're right, it's SNP and a record of other things, but I'm just not sure they'll deliver it. So. Yeah, and the thing is, uh, I, I think uh, you, you'll often find with, uh, uh, you know, a single issue kind of party that um, at the SNP are claiming to be, which is to get independence over the line, that um, uh, once they do get independent, the party will be annihilated. You know, you know you'd know, be back to uh, Labour and Conservative uh, parties mm-hmm. because uh, people would be happy to vote for them uh, mm-hmm. on the basis that they might get something in the, the way of competent government. But um, that's that's just not happening at the moment. Yeah. And um, I, I don't think there's a, an economic, economic argument for it at the moment. And much as I hate the Tories, I do have to agree with them and say, you know, the probably independence is a little bit down the list of priorities for a lot of people because uh, they're scrabbling to pay their um, energy yeah. bills and uh, keep the cars on the road. Yeah, and I went, speaking of which, uh, I went to get petrol today in Aberdeen and I got petrol 10 days ago and today it was nine pounds more expensive to fill my car up today. Mm-hmm. So that Gee. was a bit of a shock to my system today when I did that sort of thing. So. Yeah, uh, Stuart, just as a kind of vox pop kind of thing, I mean, you, you would obviously end up speaking to quite a few people about uh, in, independence and the SNP. Um, what is the perspective of your age group, do you think? Um, I think my age group's quite, it's changed quite dramatically, I think. I think I was just old enough to vote in the first one. I was 16 um, the first time around. And I think amongst my, well, at least my core, my quorum of friends, we were all quite against it then. Um, I think in the last few years, in the kind of build up to what they're doing now, I think everyone's sort of switched and is now very much for it. Um, I know that my girlfriend, who's a few years younger than me, is very much for it and she always has been. Um, I think our age group are all this very similar. Um, I think everyone's kind of just become a bit disgruntled in the past few years with what the British government has gotten away with and the way they continue to behave i'm not saying that the smp are saints by any means but they seem like the the lesser of many evils right now yeah i mean one thing i thought you know given the fact that tom cruise has come back are we looking at are we looking at stuart braveheart 2 oh i well is mel gibson gonna be in it though because uh, i don't know 
You could bring him back. <laughs> it was all a dream, the first one. And the if Tom Cruise could do a Scottish accent, I would I would back him to be in that. Okay, that's good. I think he's too small. He's too short. You know, you need somebody a bit of stature. Um, I, I don't know what height um, uh, Mel Gibson was, but um, yeah, you, you'd have to um, uh, put him up on a, a pair of, uh, I don't know, fierce brewing uh, tin cans, I suppose, something like that. You could uh, make up a little rig for him to... Uh, I be on a soapbox the whole film. <laughs> Probably. I mean, what was funny at the time, obviously, when Braveheart came out, was that it was pointed out that, like, apart from the very beginning, the rest was all filmed in Ireland. Um, yeah. And all those, and all the, all the extras were the Irish Army and stuff. And That's that. right. Yeah, the Scottish Army was the Irish Army. That's yeah. right. Um, purely for a tax dodge to make it happen <laughs> give them a tax break to do this sort of thing. But yeah, uh, getting back to a couple of things that are aligned to uh, independence, I suppose. First of all, uh, we had platy jubes, which we haven't discussed uh, on the the uh, the show. And uh, I was in Glasgow the weekend of uh, the jubilee. And uh, I saw absolutely no festivities at all, apart from an Orange March uh, on the Saturday afternoon, which is exactly what you'd expect to see in Glasgow on a Saturday in the summer. <laughs> I, I would think so. I mean, I don't know. Aberdeen was probably very similar. They had On the Sunday of the Jubilee, they had the, a picnic in Duffy Park, which I went to because it was a lovely day and I wanted to walk. And, you know, we took our picnic with us and had a couple of cans of beer in the park, which apparently is illegal in Aberdeen to drink outside licensed areas, as I found at the weekend. Um, but I mean, Stuart, you didn't weren't aware of it at all, were you? Really? I mean, I was aware of it. I, I, I wouldn't say I was overly eager to celebrate it in any way, shape, or form. But um, yeah, yes. Yeah. I, I think people were happy to get the extra day's holiday. I think that was it. Was a, that was good? Absolutely. Yeah, and it was a nice, nice weather. It and was lovely fine. weather. And yeah. the highlight for me was watching Boris and Carrie Johnson get booed. That was fabulous. <laughs> I was. I mean, I did, tr- and I did try and watch some of the BBC's coverage over the weekend, but I just found it vomit inducing. It was just they had. Who did they have on? Now they had. Uh, I was going to say Stella Black, but she's dead. That's not who I meant. Um, <laughs> who's the who's the um, Lulu was on. Um, they had her. They had Penelope Keith was on. They had oh, Gloria Hunterford. I mean, God bless her soul. She's from Northern Ireland. Love Gloria Hunterford, but just wittering on about the Queen, just dragging it out. I mean, it's like the worst part of the pre-match commentary we had for that. I mean, I mean, I think she, what they should have had was Roy Keane and Alan Hansen talking about the Jubilee. That would be funnier. Yeah, I'm instead you got Michael Owen, really, didn't you? It was just sort of boring. Yeah, Alan Titchmarch and people. And there was nothing of any... I did watch a little bit of the concert. Uh, I watched Queen at the start. We were pretty impressive. Queen do a decent show still. I didn't watch any more of that. And um, I think it was all, I think outside of Englandshire, I think it was, uh, and some parts of Northern Ireland, I'm sure had big celebrations. It was pretty flat. Yeah. And flat is also a word you describe uh, Boris Johnson's carry on the last couple of weeks, eh? He's um, just trying to uh, apply the wrecking ball to the uh, Northern Ireland protocol and just hanging on by the skin of his teeth now uh, as uh, Tory party leader. Yeah, he just makes it up. As soon as he gets a question, he's whoa, 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 it's all fine, just carry on. It's all whoa, don't worry. Like I saw him today talking about Rwanda and then this horrendous thing about moving seven people from who've come from Iran or Iraq today, it said to London or the UK through a boat, and now they're gonna ship them off to a country in East Africa. Um, and he just he just blows it off. I mean, he just I don't know. I mean, the guy's got no conscience whatsoever. Um, 
yeah, I, I think I think it's a borrowed time for sure. I would think. Yeah, I thought he was a goner in March, but um, uh, he'll probably survive until well uh, until later this week anyway. When the by election results come out, I would expect the Tories to get absolutely flat. Well, well, all the MPs are all very looking after themselves. That's always the MPs always do, and I think when they realise that you know how it's going to look, I mean, it's going to get wiped out in Scotland. I would say next election and when they, when they see how that landscape looks after the, the, the sort of by-elections I, I don't see him hanging around for much longer but then you look who's going to take his place Liz, Liz Truss and that people did you see her trying to pronounce the word Taoiseach this week yeah, yeah it was a poor effort really did you hear that Stuart no <laughs> went tea sock as a, as a sock for tea whatever that <laughs> is but she, she just couldn't present it and you know you see Pretty Patel looking today about the Rwanda thing, looking all pleased with herself. And I just think it's just... Yeah, to me, like Liz Truss, uh, it's just disrespectful uh, that carry on. You know, you can't even make, uh, you know, decent effort to pronounce that. I mean, they they would um, take care to pronounce uh, members of their own party's uh, names where, where they were multi-syllabic. So, I mean, this one isn't too difficult. It's just two syllables, really, isn't it? <laughs> that is a bit. That would have been easy. Though. I mean, Michal... Michal Martin is a bit. Michal. Michal. I'll take. There we go. So, yeah. Right. So, <laughs> but no, I think Johnson's goose, goose is cooked. I think people have seen through him now. And I think he, um, yeah, I think he's done. I don't think uh, he's going to survive much longer, which would be very interesting for, again, harking back to Nicholas Sturgeon at the start. So. Yeah. And in keeping with our um, sort of gloomy uh, news of the week, uh, poor old Mick Jagger has succumbed to COVID. Yes. Now, this, this is worrying for me. <laughs> because um, specifically, uh, <laughs> it is well. I'm sure it affects lots of our people who obviously were going to buy a ticket, who have bought tickets for them. So I decided this summer to go and see the Rolling Stones in Europe. Um, picked the venue, Vienna, which is in the middle of July. So it's a few weeks. It means away. nothing to me. <laughs> um, and you know, they turns up this week in Amsterdam, I think. And he, he picked up COVID, so they've cancelled Amsterdam, they've cancelled somewhere else as well, straight after on Friday or the weekend after. So hopefully he's going to recover. But if he doesn't, I mean, he's how old is he now? 78, I think. Yeah, so it could have a bit of an effect on him, you never know. So, uh, look, I mean, I, I would assume he'd be fitting well uh, when the time comes. Uh, the danger is obviously that. Uh, the infection rates are on the rise a wee bit, and um, you might get other members of the band getting it over the summer, unfortunately. So, well, they've got a lot of dates. I mean, they did, I saw the reviews of their uh, Anfield gig, which was fantastic. I mean, I saw what's the video, they did a very nice um, video to start for Charlie, a nice kind of before the band came on, they had a nice little video playing. Um, and interesting enough, they were supported by Reef, so there's a family connection from Reef to the Rolling Stones. So yeah. Ronnie Wood's son is the lead singer of Reef. Jamie, uh, Wood, Jamie, Jamie Wood, Jesse Wood, Jesse Wood. So, but um, no good reviews. Um, this, mind you, saying that though, I don't think the set list has changed much since we all saw them at Murrayfield on the same night. Yeah, four years ago, they've <laughs> added in one new song and a couple of did a cover version of the Beatles. But apart from that, say, if, it if it ain't broke, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, Stuart. Eh? Yeah, do they still do the like vote for a song before? Yes. Three- gig ah, okay so yeah it will be pretty much the same then yeah i think so um i'm surprised because they were in brexit sorry brexit in covid they were releasing recording a new album yeah so that's, that's never appeared i guess that will be next year's new thing as well i think but uh, no hope it gets better soon because i'm 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 turning up in vienna 
um, to get my chocolates and whatever else, good strong coffee in Vienna, and uh, go see the Stones hopefully in the Ernest yeah. Appel Stadium. Oh yes, Ernst Tappel, former manager of uh, probably Rapid Vienna, wasn't he? And uh, I can oh. remember, I can vi- I can visualise him. <laughs> well, it's sort of big beetle brow eyebrows. You might be impressed to know, speaking of Austrian football, that uh, old Ralph Rangnick, ex of Man United, has done a tremendous job with the Austrian national team over the last month <laughs> <laughs> and turned a bunch of losers into a decent team, and they've had a couple of good results. Well, there you go. Yeah. Speaking of losers, um, Scotland had an absolutely appalling performance the other night against Ireland. Did you watch it, Terry? I watched uh, some of it. Um, I was completely shocked. So the only what was interesting was I looked at the Ireland starting eleven, and the only player I recognised was James McLean, who I thought must have retired by now, but he was still there. And I think it was more a case of Scotland were terrible, yeah. but Ireland were good. But but the goal, the last goal, the Obafemi guy goal was great. Really good, actually. So, so a bit of a surprise and a bit of a relief for the, for the Ireland manager. And Scotland have uh, come back against Armenia winning today, so I'm sure they'll be fine. But Yeah, well, I, I, I do hope so. Ireland at the moment, have, well, this season have been absolutely terrible. Uh, and, um, I, 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 you know, when Scotland went so close to qualifying for the World Cup, um, I, I'm, I'm kind of wishing them well in terms of uh, other tournaments. So, Let's hope to get to the European Championship. I, I saw, and I apologise for this, Stuart, because obviously, you know, uh, Scotland fan, clearly, and me too. Um, but I saw a guy today talking about, oh, there'll, be, there'll be no, are you ready for this? Katartan Army. Katartan oh. Army. Oh. <laughs> that made me, I did maybe laugh a little bit. I think it's yeah. part of the best. I don't think the Scottish players would have survived well in Qatar. I don't think it would have boded well for us in that heat, even in November. <laughs> I think you're right. I think that nobody will do well there apart from the South Americans, I think, probably. So. Well, and uh, an army marches on its beer, doesn't it? So um, uh, they'd have to take their own personal uh, fierce brewing uh, envoy <laughs> with them, Stuart. So, you know, that would have been an opportunity for you. Instead of that, you're going to be lumped with the new facility in Dice, which you're going to tell us all about now. Yeah, so um, fierce of uh, we're obviously we've been situated in Dice for our six year uh lifespan now, um, and just in the past month and a half, two months, we have located to a brand new huge unit in Dice and Moss Terrace. Um, it's absolutely enormous. Um, it's taken a long time to kind of get up and running, um, but we're pretty much fully operational now. Um, everything's kind of back to normal. We've got a tap room coming on the way. Uh, so that will hopefully be open sometime in the summer once everything kind of gets ironed out. Um, we'll be running tours. Um, you'll be able to come out and get food. We're going to have food trucks, all that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, things have really just gone from zero to 100 really quickly. Or 100 to 200. It's felt like it was busy before and it's yeah. got crazier now. Yeah. It's really good. We were, we were in the Belmont last week for one of the new art events and the Belmont, Colin Farker, who's the ops manager there, was talking about getting fierce in and they seem to be going from strength to strength. Uh, fierce at the minute, though. So, yeah, we've really tried. I think in the past, um, like year and a half, to kind of become the the local standard in Aberdeen City Centre, at least. Um, I think you'll find most places that you can go and get a pint. You can get a pint of fierce in Aberdeen. Um, and yeah, we've kind of like our profile's really gone up. Obviously, we're still Scottish Brewery of the Year um, for twenty twenty one as well. So that we have that title again until October time which is obviously amazing. 
so yeah now it's just a summer of getting out and about and doing all these events that we're going to um we're be we're in stonehaven this weekend for a midsummer beer happening and yeah, we'll be down across the border soon as well. So it's very exciting. Well, the one thing, it's a new thing for beer now. So, I mean, when Michael and I were young, which isn't that long ago, really, Michael, is it? I mean, let's be honest. Um, you had beer, you had, for me, it was Harp or Smithwick's or you had Guinness, I suppose. But now you have Fierce and you're doing sort of collaborations with food outlets. I mean, you had the Aberdam beer, Lagerdam, Lagerdam. Yeah, so um, we obviously just want to kind of work with all the local people. We've done a... A beer with a few local people now um most recently yeah Aberdam who are just like the biggest thing in Aberdeen right now um Aberdam Dutch fries if you haven't had them I would recommend um but the guys Dave and Mikey there are great um they came to us and wanted to do a kind of beer pairing that would go with their foods and we were like yeah absolutely um obviously they're kind of Aberdam Dutch based so we're like let's just do a classic Dutch lager that you're gonna be able to drink as many as you want and it's going to match well with food. And it's um, it's called Lagerdam, and it's really, really good. And it's been absolutely flying off our shelves. So we're just it, kind of a testament to um, how popular Aberdam and how good the beer is, I think. I should say, you also did the Big Manny's Pizza one as well. Actually, which was really good. Yeah, Smashable, a personal favourite of mine. I do really like that beer as well. Yeah, Big Manny's, the the big pizza Aberdeen lads. Yeah. So it's a whole subculture now, really, isn't it? It's almost like music these days, all these kind of variations of a theme, so. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Uh, I still don't even know all the variations. We're doing a we're doing a beer this week with um guys from Northern Monk who are from uh, North England, and we're doing a cold IPA, which is uh, a beer style I had not heard of until about three weeks ago, oh, <laughs> and wow. it's, it's going to be very exciting. So yeah, excited for that one. Uh, Terry, when he was out doing his little tour uh, of the uh, facility. Uh, he posted a photograph of um, a stack of pallets, palletized um, tins or cans, as we call them in Ireland. Uh, <laughs> I, I was just staggered by how many was there. And then I was thinking about, I guess, because you guys are um, distributed to uh, supermarkets as well as off-licenses and uh, beer specialists, you kind of got to have a real volume there on hand for... Uh, uh, quick replenishment uh, of the shelves. Yeah, some of the the sizes of the tanks that we have in our brewery in the new place just now is is huge. I thought the ones we had before are big. We've got some new ones and they are humongous. I don't know how much beer they hold exactly, but yeah, it's thousands and thousands of cans stacked all the way up to the roof. Kegs are the same. It's yeah. getting pretty crazy. Yeah, oh, that's good. Good to see a local local brewery, local sort of thing being successful. I think so. I, I used yeah. to work with um, Dave Grant who kind of started off. I used to work with Dave, and it was fun to see him going from a just a hobbyist brewer, which I think he was at the start, to bringing beer into work to try, and then from step, step to step, and eventually he left where I worked and did it full time, and now he's yeah brewmaster supreme sort of thing. I always laugh at that you used to bring Dave's homebrews home, and he's like mysterious unlabeled bottles and we're like oh my friend dave brewed this beer in his kitchen and i was like okay cool yeah. let's try it and now it's like six seven years later and we're in this massive hut brewing thousands of liters of beer a day it's wild yeah absolutely absolutely so good so hopefully uh from strength to strength um with uh, fierce brewing Stuart, um somebody who uh, I, I suppose um uh, doesn't need to worry about strength of any sort is ABBA. 
Uh, they have a new ABBA experience, uh, which uh, debuted down in London a couple of weeks back. Um, we spoke to Alan Stevens, uh, who attended one of the press previews. Here's our chat with Alan. Well, we always try and bring you scoops and exclusives on the Four Idle Hands podcast. And uh, today we have a veritable, veritable one, haven't we, Terry? Yeah. Uh, we're joined today by Alan Stevens. Alan, you're very welcome onto our little podcast. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be Alan, here. Alan, you are one of the very select group of people who uh, were lucky enough to attend the ABBA Voyage uh, premiere at the ABBA Arena in E15 in London. Uh, Alan, we need to establish your credentials as an ABBA fan, probably before we find out about the show. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the place that ABBA hold in your, your heart and your life. Yeah, every, well, I was going to say everyone loves a bit of ABBA, but obviously they don't. But, but I certainly do, because obviously I, I go, I'm very old. Uh, and I go back far enough to remember the early Eurovision Song Contest, let alone the one in Brighton that was won by ABBA back in the 70s. But, it, I mean, the thing is, if you ever go to a party, if you go to an event and, and Dancing Queen comes on or does your mother, and you're, all, you're up on the foot. At least I am. I'm one of these guys who is. I love a bit of that. And I'm, I'm guessing that you guys do too. And I think what it is, it, it's an interesting combination of incredibly simple words because it's their second language an astonishingly hypnotic beat, you know, something which is, it really gets into you. You can feel the thing. And it's I think, pure joy. I think it's, I think it's pure joy. And I, uh, also when I was young, I, I fancied one of the women, but they, I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> that's an aside. So I think they, they just about had everything going for them. They had, I, and I think for, it was something to do with being in the right place at the right time as well. Yeah. I, I don't think their music is necessarily the best music in the world, but it's just one of those things that's right place at right time. And I think, you know, for people of a certain age, and I've got to tell you, I've seen the demographic of people that are going to the Abba Voyage, and it is people of a certain age, uh, and maybe <laughs> their children. Um, it brings back a whole lot of memories. It brings back a, a joyful a joyful youth that, we're, that a lot of us went through. So what would be your favourite Abba tune? Then you probably mentioned a couple there. It's probably one of those, I'm guessing, Alan. It probably, yeah, it probably is Dancing Queen, actually, because that, that, that just gets everybody up, you know. And when, when you hear that at a, at a wedding or, or something, you know, you're, you're up and into it, aren't you? And I think certainly at The Voyage, which we'll talk about in a moment, at the, at the event itself, that was the one tune that people got up for, you know, because obviously a lot of it's seated. There's a dance floor there as well. We'll talk about that maybe. But as soon as that comes on, you're into yeah. it. And even yesterday, actually yesterday, I was... I was working in Olympic Park as a volunteer. I do some volunteer work uh, as what's known as a park champion. And we were uh, working at the Vanarama playoff final, believe it or not. Oh, at the, at the Vanarama, West Ham? Between, no, it was in the West Ham Stadium. It was between Grimsby and Solihull Moors. Okay. I didn't even know Solihull Moors had a football team, but they have. Uh, and they reached the Vanarama playoff final. So the winner of that goes into the National League. They get into League Two, which is our old fourth division. And who should come past but what appeared to be the Queen? And she came wandering past her. She had a crown on. She was the right size. I've, I've seen the Queen, so I knew she was the right size. She got like a Queen-like dress on and a sash across it. And, and the sash said, Dancing Queen. And I said, you're going to the Abra Arena, aren't you? <laughs> and he said, yes, I'm not here for the football. <laughs> and uh, who, who won, by the way? Uh, Grimsby 2-1 in extra time. 
Yes. So there's a connection between Solihull Moor and Aberdeen. Oh, is there really? So, well, a player. So Adam Rooney, who was the last player, I think, to score 20 goals in a season for Aberdeen, uh, now plays for Solihull Moors. But I think he was injured at the beginning. I'm not 100% sure. But well, That's a damn shame. I, I have to admit, I didn't see very much of the game, but I could tell from the roars that I could hear outside the stadium <laughs> what was happening. So I should have pointed out, you actually live quite close to the Abba Voyage Arena. So. I do. I do. And it's, it's walkable uh, for me. Um, yeah. And it's... It was when they decided to build the thing. We thought, well, it's going to be a bit of a, you know, a bit of a thing, but a one-off. They've got a five-year planning permission for it, so they're going to be here for a long time. Oh, and the God. people that I met yesterday, because there was a kind of, I was at a kind of crossover point. There were some people going this way to Aber, and some people going that way to the football stadium. And I was giving people directions, and it was quite easy to tell the people who were going to Aber from the people who were going to watch Grimsby. It was <laughs> completely different demographic, and it was uh, it was really a lot of fun, but. Yeah, so and you can just point them at it. And the thing is, it's, it's a weird-looking structure. It was built in about five months by a place called Pudding Mill Lane Station on the Docklands Light Railway. And uh, it's going to be there for five years at least. I reckon they're going to franchise it all over the world. I think it's going to be a tremendous thing. Did, did you go wearing your high heel boots and stuff? or did you? I, I did not. I did not go in my 70s no. loons uh, and all that kind of stuff. No, and, and my tie-dye T-shirt. No, I, 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 I draw the line of that sort of thing. Yeah. Some of the ladies go in that sort of outfit, but and in fact, it's nearly all women that were going to, to, to the event. And I, I, you see a few embarrassed blokes who've clearly been told they've got to come because there's a designated driver while the women are drinking Prosecco. <laughs> so, <laughs> and there was one poor chap, and they'd gone to the extent of putting glitter on his face as well, and he looked really sheepish. And uh, there were three women with him, and, and I went over and I said, Aberina, this way, he said, Yeah, thanks very much. And I said, Are you okay? He said, Yeah, I'll be all right tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> now, Alan, uh, you you uh, you've got a very significant uh, day job as a um, media coach, and I guess you probably get involved in uh, um, kind of the reputational uh, yeah. and image side for a lot of the people that you advise. And you'd have to say that ABBA have played a bit of a blinder with this whole project, with both the album release and keeping you know that largely um, under wraps. And obviously, you know, with, yeah, with the building yeah. of the um, the Abba Arena as well. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's the way to do it, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, in PR terms, you're right. They have played an absolute blinder. They've they've got people's interest very early without revealing too much. They revealed a couple of tracks. They revealed a video. Uh, they did a launch at the top of the Arkelor Metal Orbit, which is a huge structure in uh, Olympic Park with Bjorn and Benny looking out at the site of the arena and pointing at it and saying, in four months' time, you'll be there. Uh, I, and actually, their social media campaigns have been a real object lesson uh, to people who want to launch something because they, they put out little teasers. Um, they've got some famous people involved. It, I, it's been absolute genius. I don't think they need to sell it very hard, to be perfectly honest. But they have, and that's going to make it even more successful. <laughs> and um, sort of moving on to the the, the show itself. I mean, the, the you know sixty four million dollar question is, how did you manage to get a ticket for this, Alan? <laughs> <laughs> it's because of it's because I'm a volunteer in the park. I was I was working as a games maker at the Olympics and Paralympics in 2012, 10 years ago. And there's a volunteer scheme that's carried on. Uh, that the, the park champions as we are, we work at various events. And they decided they wanted to show an audience an early preview. It was actually the, just before the premiere. So we got in before the premiere. We were the first people to see it. And there was an audience of about three or 400 of us. So there was a, to us, there were a couple of PR companies. There were 
a few people even involved with building the arena. And we just got in there very early. Bjorn and Benny were there as well. Uh, they obviously wanted to see what they looked like, which is rather bizarre to watch themselves <laughs> on stage. Um, and we saw the whole show, the whole show start to finish. And it was uh, it, absolutely extraordinary. I mean, the venue, you say, it's, I saw it looks a bit sort of space agey looking yeah. sort of thing. It does look a bit prefabby sort of. It's very solid inside. In fact, when you go inside, you think you're inside Ikea. It's got that kind of, as you, as you could imagine, it's got that kind of piney smell inside. It's like, it's like being in the Ikea canteen, you know, that lobby where they, where they sell you all those kind of hot dogs and, and Swedish drinks and so on. It's like that. It's like when you've come through the tills at Ikea. Um, none, none the worse for that. I mean, they've got the, you know, the merch shop. They've got a little VIP area. Uh, they've got a bar that sells Prosecco, and the cheapest drink available is Prosecco, would you believe? So they all know their audience, don't they? <laughs> so, <laughs> Pretty how, damn good idea. How much is the beer, though? That's what I was going to ask. How much, did, did you buy it? Or did you... Uh, the, the beer is £8 a pint. Um, so I stuck with Prosecco, I have to be honest. I, I took my daughter. Uh, my wife was away, so uh, Ellie and I went. She's, she's 25 and loves Abba, too. So um, she, as soon as we got there, Dad, we're having Prosecco. I said, fine. Well... Fine. I mean, it a pints about the going rate for most gigs these days, mind you. So, but, well, it is, and it was very interesting because we we had um, you know, this football match at, at the London Stadium. We, we had the, the, the Grimsby fans down for that, and one of them said to me, he said, he said, do you know I've had to pay five pounds for a pint of beer? And I said, show me the pub. Take <laughs> <laughs> me there now. Because he thought it was outrageous. And I said, where can you get a five pound pint in London? That's Fantastic. Well, the one thing that's confused me about this show, so I originally thought this was going to be like holograms, a bit like, you know, yeah. the Tupac Shakur, but they have a live band. Yes. And how, how does it work? Is there a screen? Is it a... No, there is no screen. Um, they, have, they have an eight-piece live band that plays yeah. to one side of the stage, the left-hand side of the stage. There's a dance floor in front of the stage, which takes about uh, 300 people, and there are banks of seats. Uh, like a well, like a conventional arena, and there's a stage, and the stage initially is blank. It's in the dark. Then some lights come on, and then Abba appears on the stage, and you think, well, that's a screen. It's going to be two D. So what did I do? I, I wandered around to one side and had a look, and I wandered around the other side and had a look, and they've got depth. However, they create these things. They call them avatars, not holograms. They have depth. They have three D. Um, they wear clothes that you can see move around from different angles. It's an extraordinary, I mean, it's, it's all done digitally and it's done with projection, obviously. But the way it's done is, is astonishing. It's, it's a bit like um, CGI. Okay. But CGI in reality. That's the best way I can describe it. I mean, it just, it just sounds, I mean, I, I just, I saw, I've seen pictures on the television and it's hard to, to like say, if I need to be there, and I, I would do the same as you walk around mm. and have a look. But I mean, does it give that feel of a reality, like a real it does. Yeah. I mean, then it's weird because when we got there, we thought, are we going to applaud? You know, are mm. we going to cheer? Are we going to sing along? Because it's like going to it's like going to the cinema, but it isn't like going to the cinema at all. It's like being at a concert. Is, and, is, it, is there any sponta spontaneity in it as such? Is it kind of well, no, because it's all pre-recorded. Of course. But, yeah. but obviously there's there's the chats to the crowd. And there's the, you know, thank you very much. And, uh, you know, each one, of the, each one of the avatars comes out separately and has a little conversation and talks about the history of the band. And you know it's all pre-recorded, but it, ha it actually seems pretty real. Um, and I mentioned this to somebody and they said, oh, you've been taken in by it. I said, 
No, I just, I just went with the experience. And I think that that's the thing. If you go with it and you have that level of enjoyment, yeah. it really doesn't matter that it's avatars. It doesn't matter. It's, it's a bit like going to the, the, the theatre or the cinema and that, you know, a little bit of a suspension of disbelief is required. But the thing I, I noticed about what I saw of it, Alan, just the, the brief bit of footage that was on TV was that these projections, they're actually... Um, kind of foregrounded by lighting, you know, that seems yeah. to, you know, come towards the crowd. And it's just amazing to think you can actually get a good holographic image of, of these four figures moving around the place, and as you say, having some depth. Hmm. And yet, you know, there's light between those images and, and you and the crowd. It, 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 is, it is, is extraordinary. And there's a, there's a light show that goes with it. There's a light show that's in the roof. It comes down from the roof. It's completely surrounding you in the audience. Things that, you know, lights drop down and they're behind you and in front of you and so on. Um, and it, it is Im uh, immersive, I suppose is the right word for it. It is an immersive experience. There are bits of it that I didn't take to so much. There's, a, there's quite a long running cartoon film that goes with it that plays along with some of the tracks. And I guess <laughs> they didn't have time to fill the 90 minutes with avatars. <laughs> so they, they used it. And the, li the live band plays one song on their own. So they start off, with one of the one of the avatars with uh, with Bjorn singing along he disappears and then the band move across the stage and they take over and that's that's pretty good too they're a good band um and do they do i mean so this is ABBA, you know hmm. from 72 to today so they, do they do the full range of songs and what i was wondering was you know if they're playing any songs off the new album voyage hmm. but they're they're obviously currently in their late 70s do yeah. the avatars change no. no, the avatars remain rooted in the seventies. Right. Now, the costumes change, but right. uh, but they remain. They have, they retain that youthful appearance. They've obviously designed them to be of a certain age, and I would say they're probably about the age they were in 76, 78, something like that. Okay. Um, at the end, this is one of the spookiest things. I don't know if I'm giving this away by telling you, but I think a lot of people will know this. At the end, the lights go down, and then you see the four of them come out on stage as they are now. Okay. White outfits. They walk out on stage and they look completely. They come out from the wings. They don't just suddenly appear. They they walk out from the wings and say, "Thank you very much. I'm glad you were able to come to the show." And just for a minute, you think they're here. <laughs> they're here. But the only reason I knew they weren't is that I turned round and I could see Bjorn and Benny four rows behind me. So, <laughs> so, so I knew. And of course, people are saying to me, "They're here. They're here." And I said, "No." They're still behind us. The yeah. thing is, you've seen Bjorn and Benny recently regularly because they've, they've been doing the films, the, the, yes. they've been doing the, um, the stage play and so on. Mm. We haven't really seen Agnetha and Frida very much. When they no, turned no. up at the, the, the premiere, I, was, I wasn't shocked, but it was like, oh, especially Frida, she does, she's like a bit frail now, I guess. Well, yeah, I mean, she walked with a stick. They're in their yeah. 60s, early 70s, perhaps. And yeah. like everybody else, they get older. Yeah, yeah, of um, course. Well. And, but what they have done, to their credit, they've re-recorded all the songs. Oh. So, you know, even the, even the older songs that they had hits with in the 70s and early 80s, they've re-recorded them all. Um, and they, they'll have had a little bit of voice enhancement, a bit of auto-tune, I'm yeah. sure. But I think pretty, yeah. they pretty much retain their voices, as, as far as I'm aware, as far as I've heard from the interview. So okay. I think good luck, good, good luck to them. Well done to them. Yeah, and the the um, the Voyage album itself. I mean, uh, the arrangement of the songs is actually. Um, uh, I'm not suggesting it's kind of frozen in aspect or anything like that, but 
the the instruments that they chose to um, uh, you use in those new compositions they're actually very similar to what they were doing mm. probably in the uh, the early eighties at the the tail end of their career. So yeah, right. uh, without giving too much away, I mean these new recordings, Alan, are they? Uh, they're obviously recognisable as you know things like Mamma Mia and, and what whatnot. Mm-hmm. But uh, are, are there changes in the instrumentation or anything to make it more contemporary sounding? No, no, the instrumentation oh. remains the same. And the weird thing is, and this is something I didn't quite figure out, is obviously the instruments are avatars as well. So when you see uh, oh. Benny's keyboard and Bjorn's guitar and the microphones that uh, that the girls are using, they're all projections as well. And the the first time they came out, they they played a number. And I think it was Frida actually, not, at the end of the number, she knocks the mic stand and it wobbled like that. And I was saying to my daughter, I said, oh, that's clever. So they've got this mic stand. There's probably somebody under the stage poking it with a stick. But then it disappeared. And I thought, crikey, that's an avatar as well. <laughs> but the, the most convincing thing is, is, is Benny's piano. Now, he's, he's got a, a big keyboard, apparently well, a sort of big instrument with several keyboards that he plays. And, you know, they walk round it. And, you know, they, one of them goes over and puts, puts her arm around him and, and, you know, plays a few notes on the keyboard. You think, that's extraordinary. I mean, they've, they've even made an avatar of, a, of an instrument. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I, I, how long was the whole show from start to finish? 90 yeah. minutes. 90 minutes to start to finish. So, There's no interval. It just goes 90 minutes all the way through. Okay. And, and did you, when you finished, when you were walking out the door, you know, you often feel you've been to a gig or a concert or a show. Yeah sort of elation did you did you have that same experience i guess you would have i mean absolutely absolutely terry i did and um yes i like you i go to a lot like you both i'm sure i go to a lot of gigs a lot of shows probably you know a couple of shows a week and exactly the same and that's what i was trying to explain to somebody because they said oh no it's all bloody avatars and i said look if i have the same feeling walking out of the abra arena as i did walking out of the o2 the other day or the green note or dublin castle or the half moon or whatever gig i've been to recently what's wrong with that yeah. You know, I've had I've had the emotional experience, and it doesn't really matter that they were avatars to me. It doesn't matter at all because you can have an emotional experience at a film. Yeah, can't you? Yeah, same but, thing. I was thinking about this. You know, you, you see all these people. I mean, you've got um, Britney Spears, and you've had Celine Dion, you've had um, Lady Gaga doing these residency Adele. Mm. Uh, Adele's a good one at uh, in Las Vegas. So this is essentially the same thing in yeah. Avatar. For, so is this the future? Maybe. I think it probably is. And the scary thing is you could do this in the round. So, you know, you could put Adele oh. in the middle of an arena and have an Adele avatar that people could sit all the way around. Uh, it, is, it is a semi-darkness. You can't do it in full bright light yet, I don't think, but that may come too. The, th- the thing is, somebody was saying to me, well, what, you know, they could do this for Elvis and they could bring the Beatles back together, but actually they can't because it relies on motion capture. So yeah. you've, you've got uh, to have the people there in the studio to grab the motion capture initially. I suppose you could have some lookalikes or some some people make, you know, playing the role and they could predict the face yeah. on. But what but they do actually um, they have to perform the whole routines themselves in order to capture the the digital imagery so they can then project it on stage later on. Yeah. It's probably gonna sound the death knell for a lot of tribute acts, Alan. Oh, you yeah. know, that, that people have got the opportunity of to go to something which is an authorized version. People seem very keen on you, you know, going with the official version. I think the difference, the difference is, and I, I go and see tribute acts. There's a band called the Rolling Stoned that uh, that I go and see at the Half Moon occasionally. They even play for the Rolling Stones at their birthday parties. That's how good they are. Um, but but you, 
you can't have genuine interaction with with an avatar that's the difference i think so if you've got a live band on stage in a in a sort of little music venue and you can have some banter with the singers and you can call for a number and you know they can play a bum note and have to restart that i think that's part of the charm of a live gig and you can't or at the moment they can't reproduce that there is no interactivity at all i, I, I was thinking about the stones actually i'm going to see the stones in the summer and I thought you know, they, they, that would be ideal for them to keep touring and they could yeah. actually, you know, Charlie Watts, obviously, you know, RIP with Charlie, obviously, but they could have a digital version of the drummer with his face on it and, and they yeah. could play. But I think they're so keen at still playing live. I, I think so. And I'm thinking, you know, having seen the Stones uh, back in I think 20, 2019, 2019, was that? I can't remember the last time I saw them, the last time yeah. they were playing in the UK, I guess. Uh, Keith doesn't actually move. So, <laughs> so motion capture for Keith would not be an issue, would it? That's true. I say that's a good point. I thought of that sort of thing. But I mean, would, I mean, would you go again? Go and see Abba? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, in fact, I'll have to go again because I took our daughter Ellie, and, and Heather's now keen to go and see it. My wife. So, uh, okay. so we will be going. Don't don't tell her because she's in the other room. It's going to be my birthday <laughs> presents next well, month. Well, I I I was thinking. I would like to see it just as a, mm. I do quite like, I don't mind that at all. And I was Googling for tickets. You should bring Lynn down, shouldn't you? We should. We should. But the tickets are they're pretty much sold out all the way through to October. No, uh, October this year, yes. But yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at tickets in February next year, oh, January, my. February. Uh, cheapest tickets are £21. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, £21. Yeah. Pounds. If you get in early... Um, they're not front on, they're at the side of the stage, but the view is, you know, the whole the whole arena, the view is great and the experience is just the same. £21 the cheapest and then the next up is 32 uh, And then they start getting higher, 55 yeah. and so on. And of course, if you're on a dance booth or something like that or a, or a VIP seat, then you're paying silly money. They'll be making a fortune out of this with the yes. T-shirt yes. sales yes. and merchandise. It's, it's a 3,000-seat arena. Um, they do seven oh. shows a week. Um, they oh. do matin- they, so they're open five days a week. They do matinees. I'm sorry, a marketing person. Matinees <laughs> Saturday and Sunday. And uh, yeah, they're pretty much sold out this year, the rest of this year. Wow. But they reckon they're going to sell out for the whole of the five-year run. They reckon Jeez. they're going to sell virtually every ticket. And if you do the sums on that, yeah, it's 3,000. The average ticket price is about £60. Uh, and they're filling it 3,000-seat arena seven times a week. That's oh, some serious that's not, that's that. Yeah. I mean, would you go, Michael? Uh, probably not. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not the world's greatest ABBA fan. I mean, I, I'm happy to listen to it, but uh, I, um, I, I think I'd prefer go go to see a, a live band play. And I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. when I lived in London, Ireland, I was a frequenter of uh, the Half Moon as well. So uh, I prefer, it, you know, it a bit more gritty. Uh, I think would be my take. <laughs> yeah, I, know, I understand that. I mean, the thing is, as you know, if you got if you've been in the Half Moon, it's it's not the top bands that come in there because it's not big enough. Um, you do your, your regulars in, and you get some some names that you know, but it's it's mostly sort of you know gigging bands and, and and artists and so on. But I think if you want to go and see a an ABBA, imagine if ABBA did reform, what the ticket price would be. Oh. you know, it'd, it'd be outrageous, wouldn't it? It'd be completely out with you know most people's ability to go. But this, I think they've made it affordable. Yeah. They've made it affordable, but not only affordable, they've made it a great experience for people. So people are, and, and 
my goodness me, we need some joy in the world at the moment. Don't we? <laughs> we, we certainly do. do. We <laughs> really do need some things that make you smile at the moment. Absolutely. And I think, I think they've hit the nail on the head. They've got a product that people want to go and see. Um, they've obviously clearly used the technology properly, um, mm. it properly. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's a super clever idea and um, unfair play to them. And, um, yeah. Absolutely. And, yeah. Uh, Alan, um, can't let you go without um, maybe just picking up on your experience as a, a volunteer at the Olympic Park. And also mm-hmm. just to maybe ask you about, you know, we, we've seen examples of um, uh, Olympic projects kind of failing in terms of usage yeah. uh, after uh, the, the Olympic year has passed. But that doesn't seem to be in the case uh, with the Olympic Park uh, in London. It, it's been a big success, hasn't it? It has. If you, if you wind me up and let me go, I'll talk for hours about the Olympics. Because it's, I'm very, very proud of it. I'm proud of being part of the Olympics and the Paralympics and also proud of still working there. And it, yes, the legacy is tremendous. We've, there are 12,000 homes that have been built there. Uh, the arenas still all work. We've got the London Stadium, obviously, that's West Ham and lots of other events. Uh, we've got concerts coming in. We've got Green Day and um, Red Hot Chili Peppers in the next couple of weeks coming in there, as well as Soccer A with Robbie Williams. Uh, the Aquatic Centre is still open. We've got the, uh, the uh, Velodrome, where the Commonwealth Games are coming in in July. I'm going to be working at that. Uh, we've got the Copper Box Arena, multi-use. We've got the Lee Valley Hockey Centre, international tournament there this week. And everything is still used. It, I, mean, and you, I can go and swim in the Olympic pool for a fiver. Oh, that's uh, pretty good. Which, which I do. Um, and there's a massive shopping centre there, Westfield Shopping Centre oh, as well. Yeah. I mean, they've converted. I used to live, uh, Heather and I used to live not... Uh, not 400 yards from the site uh, when it was still a dump. And uh, <laughs> believe me, the transformation is extraordinary and the legacy really has sustained. It's, it is a fantastic place. Uh, and I will sing its praises un- until I, until I oh. drop off the twig. And then we've even got another development coming in now. We've got the Victoria and Albert Museum, BBC Music are moving there oh. uh, and Sadler's Wells are opening a new theatre and they all open next year uh, oh. in the park. So it's a, it's a cultural hub as well as a sporting one. It's certainly lovely. To, the last gig I went to in London, well, not in London, in there was the Stones flying off. It's a good gig there. I thought it was pretty good, actually. Um, but it's a fantastic park. And I don't, you know, I don't think the, even the Commonwealth Games in, in, in Glasgow, I don't think they've left a map. They've, they've got a velodrome, but that's, that's and it's housing, but that's kind of about it because they used existing stadiums and modify them. So, but um, I worked at the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow in 2014, except I wasn't in Glasgow. I was allocated Carnoustie. Um, and believe it or not, what did they do at Carnoustie? The shooting. Yeah, it wasn't even a golf, was it? Yeah. No, it was it was a shooting at a place called Barry Budden. Oh. Barry Budden shooting range. Oh, it was the ex-military camp, wasn't it? Which was an army, an army shooting range. So, I, yeah, I was there for two weeks, okay. uh, which was very interesting. So I, I had a, a very nice sojourn in the Premier Inn in Dundee. Well, there you go. People will pay for that, a fortune these days, Alan. <laughs> so, look, thank you very much for your time this evening. It's been a been pleasure. An absolute pleasure. And um, we'll uh, say Mamma Mia to you then. <laughs> thanks Alan thanks, good to see you so that was very interesting so uh, I know Alan from a long time back and he does lots of different things in the media um, he does a, he's a reputationist he does a lot of social media sort of management public speaking uh, reputation management that he's involved in um, but uh, I saw him he'd been to the experience so we, we thought we'd give him, a, give him a shout and come on but I think it's certainly very interesting I mean, is that something that interests you, Stuart, you think, to see that kind of event? Or Yeah, definitely. I think ABBA are, like, such an iconic, like, band that it would just be really exciting to see 
what they've created. Um, I, I I don't know much about them as like as people, but I think their music's amazing. So I think it's and it spans so many generations. Like okay. you to see it. Yeah, um, not for me. I think uh, I I have difficulty when um, you know you're band like Thin Lizzy and Phil Lynn's obviously um, no longer with us, and uh, you know he's gone heading for thirty five years now. Um, you know to see a Thin Lizzy band out on the road without him to me that's just not right. Um, mm. So I think it's always a dilution of what was there, and you know I I get it that. You know, most ABBA fans are, are probably too young to have seen them back in the day because they haven't played live since 1980. So I, I get the point of it, but uh, it wouldn't be for me. No, stick to the real experience, I guess, on the stage. Exactly, exactly. So um, moving on uh, to our review section, uh, we'll be reviewing a couple of gigs in a few minutes. But before that, um, the New Arts uh, Festival uh, uh kicked off in Aberdeen last weekend, Terry, and you've been uh, kind of involved in it uh, this year in terms of helping out. So tell us a wee bit about some of the artworks and where you can find them. Yeah, I did. So I volunteered this year to help. Um, I've seen it over the years. It started off in 2017. I'm sure it was involved with the 2020 version before COVID kind of kicked it into touch. So it was good. So he was involved as well. So I thought it'd be fun to volunteer. So uh, I turned up, uh, this is on the pre-production, so basically the event launched last weekend, but sort of 10 days before that, all the artists turned up. There was some Portuguese, a lot of Spanish, some Norwegian, Danish, uh, and UK-based artists turned up to Aberdeen um, to start to in, do the installation. So it was called Reconnect this year. And the idea was they would go for um, huge, huge walls. I mean, absolutely massive sort of walls. And if you find them around the city, I mean, they are absolutely massive. We'll post a link to the map. So my job for the first couple of days I volunteered was literally watching paint dry. So, and it was really interesting because we went with this lassie called Elisa Captavia, who was a artist from Barcelona, and she was doing a wall around the back of the station hotel. And the day she got there and basically put a, just fascinating to see how she did it, she put a grid in the wall. It's a massive, I mean, it must be 70, 80 feet high. She put a grid on the wall which was numbered um, and then she paints from photographs so she had a photograph of a view from Tenerife the Fairy Islands and then she was basically using that as her guide and then spent the next sort of 10 days painting into that it was fascinating to watch her work and just like doing mixing her paint I never thought of course she spent the first day three hours mixing paint but thankfully it was a nice sunny day so I sat there and just like, we weren't we weren't helping or anything and then we would just assist with more paintbrushes and bits and pieces for them and stuff. So absolutely fascinating. And then they obviously had the launch event last weekend, which also included the kind of a, I would you call it a festival, Stuart? It was like a little event thing on Broad Street. So um, again, super successful. Loads of people joining the tours. Um, someone at work said, oh, sorry, I missed it. Did they, is it not available anymore? And the answer is, don't be so stupid. These were available. <laughs> they don't paint over them the day after. So there are loads of them. I mean, some of the most... My favourite ones uh, are on Union Plaza building, which is kind of around the back of Rustico's. Massive one there. There's one down on Gerrard Street. There's on Virginia Street. I mean, you'll find the map, and you can you can. They're so big this year, you can find them. Although there is a very small one on Union Street that nobody can find. It's because it's on the ground. So rather than being on the on the floor, it's on the ground. But I mean, these guys. The guy I spoke to, this guy Nuno, he he just tours the world and does these events. And he was he'd been in. Leicester, as he said it, Leicester. 
he was going to Carlisle this week, and then he was going to, I'm sure he was in Asia somewhere. I know I can't remember. But it's a huge demand. I mean, the, the festival, and like, I think it's, people come to Aberdeen. There's a New York magazine. People turned up from Juxtapose magazine, turned up to do a blog and video views. BBC Alba have done a TV program on it now. So it's it's a big it's a big thing, and I think it's great for it to have it in the city. So go out and have a walk about. You'll be able to find them. They're so big this time, you can find them no problem at all. But uh, yeah, and, uh, they they've used some of the same sites then, Terry, have they? Because uh, that they, they'd used a, a bit of that building on um, uh, in behind Rusticos before. Yes, yeah, so they, they used other sites. So they came around the back now. So the building, yeah, it's basically all the way around now, sort of thing. So there's two there. I mean, it's a really good one. The one we tried to find it this morning, Stuart. We actually drove straight past it. It's around the corner from the, the car park in the Silver Fin building off Union Street. But they are big this year. Um, there are some small ones. This lady called Miss Printed does these little printed ones and puts them on walls and things. So they're hard. To, they're kind of hard to find, but you can do it. But no, it's great. It's done by Aberdeen Inspired to kind of kick the whole thing off. And we're going to do it again next year. So um, I'll sort of hopefully volunteer again next year. And um, it was interesting. I've never dealt with artistic people before. So, uh, not in a bad way. I mean, they were all great people, very friendly and stuff. And a lot of the volunteers were students. So that was fun because they're all art school students or doing that sort of thing. And they were asking what I did. And it's oil and gas. And it's like, ooh, oil and gas. No, it's not really good. Um, like, blah, blah, blah. Aberdeen's based on it, I'm afraid. So, but, no, great, great thing. I really enjoyed it, actually. So, um, certainly help again. So, good. Uh, Stuart, you've seen a few of these as well, I take it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I was on um, placement when I was having Inspire in 2020, just before COVID hit. Um, so I was kind of helping and organize the running of what would have been 2020's festival. Um, and obviously it's been pushed now um, until 2022, but they've ended up using a lot of the same walls that um, I ended I was working with. And quite a few of the same artists have come back. And what I really like is that they, they've kind of popped up in clusters around. So like obviously Union Plaza, if you walk around, Union Plaza, you'll kind of spot like six or seven of them all now. Yeah. And off George Street, um, I can't remember what that street's called now, but there's like three or four there. So you can kind of, once you see one, you kind of think there'll be a, a few others around and it's just, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I hope they'll run out of wall soon. Um, interesting enough, there was a TV, a film review, a film uh, premiere sort of thing on the Thursday night. Slassy Martha Cooper was doing, uh, she's a photographer. And um, she she'd been to Northern Ireland, so I'd asked her about her trip to Northern Ireland, and and she I get, got the impression she she wasn't that um, well, she wasn't that impressed, but she said they were more they were murals and they were very obviously she picked up the fact that they were 100 percent political and not, they, weren't, they weren't there for any artistic. Well, they are actually look at them now they are you, you've seen them the free dairy ones, Stuart. I mean they are great. I mean wall size, oh, yeah, definitely very well done. Um, but um, yeah. So well, it's kind of it's marking your territory, really, in, yeah. in Ireland, isn't it? it, it yeah. As you say, it, it's not entirely an artistic, uh, no, kind of um, uh, medium. So <laughs> maybe they could do some more of that going forward. Maybe that would help them all get together a bit more. So, but... She was fascinating, though, Martha Cooper. She was amazing. What a life she's lived. Yeah, a seventy-seven-year-old woman who travels the world with her cousin, um, and she follows illegal graffiti people. That's what she likes. She likes the buzz of the kind of slightly illegal element of graffiti. So she showed her, was it Brazil, Steve? Yeah, Brazil, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was Brazil. She was on a, they were in a train station. So they snuck into a train station and these two guys were spray painting with these long, like, hose sprays all up the wall of the train station. It was a, it was a fire extinguisher. 
Yeah, it was. Sorry, yeah, exactly. That's what it was. Filled with pain, and it yeah, was like there were pains. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, she just likes that danger element of it, even though she's seventy-seven. So, but uh, so really interesting sort of people. So, no, good. Good. Something else that's quite dangerous is taking musical instruments into a swimming pool, Terry. Uh, yes. So this is the return um, five years, 2017 to today, or this week, sorry. The Little Kicks have returned with a new single called Ruminations, which was filmed in the Bon Accord Baths by a local firm, Snap, did it was thing? Yeah, Snap Studios, um, just a great local um, yeah. videography company. Um, they do some amazing work and uh, the video for this is stunning. I, I think it really is a fantastic video. I've watched it several times and from the from the, I saw a few stills of it a few weeks ago and I could figure out where it was and I think that from the start they're all sitting on the side with the drummer just tapping his drumstick um, to the video itself I, I thought it was tremendous and I actually I really love the song actually so yeah it's it's a strong song and um, a, a nice arrangement kind of remind me a wee bit of George Harrison there maybe a little bit in terms of the, yeah. the vibe of it that's a good and, uh, you know re- really well recorded so um, uh, look forward to hearing the rest of the album when, when it comes. Yeah, so they're out to tour. They're starting off on the 18th of June in Edinburgh. And I think then they're doing Hugging a Pint in Glasgow. And then the 25th of June, they've got a sort of a hometown gig in the tunnels. Um, so I've got a couple of tickets for that. So that should be good. And it's the first time they played live, obviously, since pre-COVID. So um, it's good to have them back. And I, yeah, I'm interested to hear how the rest of the album. I had a couple of uh, hints on some of it which could be quite interesting, actually. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it sounds really interesting. But you say it's just fantastically well-produced and uh, they've certainly spent a lot of time on it. And I think it's good to have them back again. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, another person who's good to have back, Stuart, is Kendrick Lamar. His new album, Mr. Is it Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers or Mr. Moral? I, it's Mr. Morale. He does pronounce it several different ways on the album, but I think morale as in good morale, yeah, and the Big Steppers. Yeah, tell us a bit about it as a sort of high concept thing. Yes, yeah. um, funny you say it. it's been five years since it's been five years since Kendrick Mars done an album. Um, so this is a long time coming for any diehard fans like myself. It's been a lot of waiting. Um, he generally doesn't do an album without it being some sort of very high concept, and some people may say like kind of highfalutin, interesting um thing so this is a, a double album um one half being this mr morale and one half being this big steppers um and yeah it's it's sort of like a musical therapy session um he talks a lot about his sort of personal struggles which is not something that he does so explicitly normally this is kind of it's quite jarring to listen to um the music is wildly jazz and soul infused as usual um kind of hard to listen to on first listen um i always find that with kendrick Lamar because he's his music his lyrics are so dense um it's kind of as much as i'm a fan it takes me a while to kind of my ears to kind of clock into that speed and the to catch all the words and all the lyrics and all the rhymes and uh one of the interesting things i've been reading about the album especially is that he references this uh therapist called eckhart tolle on the album several times he has some quotes by him as well um so it kind of just in it's about this system i've been reading a lot about this um it's called internal family systems internal family systems so this is a form of therapy um in which you create spaces in your brain like characters and you talk to that character 
and try and figure out that side of yourself. And I read a lot about this in the past month. This album's been out for a month now. Um, and the more and more I read about it, the more I listen to the album. I think I've listened to it every day since it's been out. Um, I sort of think that's what he's going for because he kind of talks. He's always been a rapper and an artist that like likes to create characters. And he does lots of different voices. And um, I think that he's kind of exploring his own self within this album. And it's I think it's amazing. Um, there's definitely some weirdness on it. And he's there's some problematic things towards the end of the album. He says a lot of slurs that you, I know it's a rap album, but like it's still a bit strange for him. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you guys have listened to it. I'd like to hear your thoughts. It, it's quite. A, I listen. It's quite a dense album. There's a lot to get into. And for me, I struggled, and I kept thinking, "How's this going to translate to Glastonbury, where he's doing the Sunday night headliner slot?" Um, I wonder how much because it, it almost be hard to do it on out with. Like, it would hard be hard to pick tracks here and there. Maybe yeah, it's not really an album for singles at all. Really, I can't oh. give one that song that's particularly like you can hear the crowd chanting at a, a festival. So I don't know what he's going to do there, but yeah. it's very interesting though. Yeah, I mean he's pretty uh, assured as artists go and pretty uncompromising. So I'm sure he'll find a way of uh, yeah. uh, putting that across in the live format. That'll be interesting for sure. I think you've got Paul McCartney on the Saturday night. So yeah, that'll be the popular. Headliner, and then you got Kendrick on the Sunday. Well, Billy, Billy, Billy yeah. Alice on Friday, yeah. Billy Alice the Friday. It's quite. Yeah. It's a. It's a pretty three odd choices in terms of like consecutive vibes. It'll be sinister, sinister certainly strange. Yeah. But it was certainly. I, I listened to it a couple of times. Um, I find it difficult to listen to casually. You know, you just sit mm-hmm. through, listen to it all, and I get distracted and go to something that's a bit more easy to listen to. So apologies for that. Yeah. So. Definitely one, I think all his albums are. It's definitely not his favourite of mine by far, um, but I think it's it's certainly got some, uh, some of his ab- his best music is on this album for sure. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, I was, I was speaking to a few people who think there's a lot of filler. I think 18, 18 tracks is a long album, so yeah. there's definitely some that you could skip, but um, some of his absolutely best songs are on here for sure. And he's touring Scotland this year. He's coming back to the Glasgow Hydro in November. He is. I'm very excited to see him again. It's been five years since I saw him, so... Um, I, I didn't buy a ticket for me. I hope you noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd get. I think you'd have a good time at Kendrick Lamar gig, Dad. I'd be interesting. I'd be interested to see. I've never been to a kind of a rap artist before, uh, or, yeah, such... I don't think I've ever... Been. Oh, no. It's very oh, impressive yeah. to witness live, because it's like a breath exercise yeah. like for an hour and a half. Like, he has to keep that going for... Yeah. So apologies to the audience listening to this because I don't want to get into the Charlton family here, but your mother has been to see 50 Cent. <laughs> remember he played Aberdeen? Yeah, I remember. Yeah. It so, makes me laugh to think about my mum at a 50 Cent gig to this yeah, day. Yeah, because his girlfriend was Rihanna at the time, wasn't she? No, I don't think so. I think that was way <laughs> before was, Rihanna. No, I think she was there. But anyway, so yeah, that played <laughs> well, the old exhibition centre. Yeah, well, I saw Kendrick years ago uh, playing Tea in the Park on the Friday. So oh, wow. that must, I think he must have been on at about seven o'clock because I remember seeing Haim and they were opening on one of the stages and then we wandered across the main stage. And uh, I had no idea who he was. Uh, I think it was Good Kid, Mad City was the album at the time. And uh, we caught about half an hour of it and it was fantastic. And then 
uh, Emily Sandy came on and we had to go elsewhere. <laughs> Another great Aberdeen singer, obviously, Emily Sandy. Uh, well, indeed, yeah, but just not, not my cup of tea. No. Uh, no. Other things uh, that we've been at uh, and something that was my more my cup of tea was um, the new band featuring Tom York and uh, Johnny Greenwood, The Smile, Terry. You've heard a wee bit of this uh, I, album, haven't you? I do enjoy the album, actually. I've to, I have listened to that quite a few times, actually. So, um, and I, I was quite jealous you went, you got to see him in Edinburgh. But no, I do enjoy the album, actually. Um, I'm not a massive Radiohead fan. I, also, I can take him out even if they're on, but I have played this quite a lot recently and uh, certainly have enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, and uh, there are kind of sounds on it that uh, you wouldn't expect uh, from Radiohead. I mean, some of the tracks are quite kind of indie, almost Stone Roses yeah. sounding, aren't they, in terms of the... That's the, what I thought, yeah riffage and uh yet there are you, you know little echoes of uh, things that we've heard on rinche pool and, and even some of the earlier albums in terms of the so how, uh, how they, you mentioned they didn't do any radiohead covers no uh they came on and they played uh most of the album uh then they went off um and uh came back to do a couple of encores which featured one song by tom york and one new, I think it was one new song um, that that hadn't made the album, which apparently was about Boris Johnson. Uh, I mean, I mean, a lot of it's quite political, I think, as records go. But I saw them in the Usher Hall, and um, uh, it was pretty amazing the sound at it. I mean, it was you could hear a pin drop in, it in terms of the the quality of the sound was terrific. The drummer is the guy from uh, Sons of Kemet, and he, he's quite different in terms of the way that he drums. So there's not really like a typical snare sound. It's a sharper kind of sound and um, just really good drum fills. Nothing flashy about it. It was always serving the songs. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, Johnny uh, Greenwood and Tom York kind of were doing musical chairs really in terms of who's going to play bass and okay. keyboards and a lot of the tracks. So, uh, and York's voice was fantastic. Um, as well, it was probably there was a bit more room in the arrangements for his voice to really shine. Yeah. Compared to with Radiohead, you're obviously competing with um, another um, guitarist uh, at the very least in terms of the mm-hmm. sound stage. But terrific gig, really enjoyed it, and uh, would thoroughly recommend the album, which is out on Friday. That's, that's quite an interesting way to end a show with a song that no one's heard before. Yeah, I don't think it, it was the. I think Tom York one was the one that they ended it with, but with okay. the first encore that they did was definitely. You know, we didn't say it was about Johnson. It was pretty obvious it was. Uh, it was about him, though. <laughs> oh well, cool. Yeah, good. good. So uh, that was uh, the first gig we were looking at, and um, the second one was the return of Kasabian, who played the Beach Ballroom a couple of weeks ago, Terry. Yes, yeah, so this was interesting. So they played. The beach ballroom, and I couldn't really figure out why until you realised it was kind of a warm-up gig for doing Liam Gallagher at Nedworth. Um, so um, they played. They had a odd, odd. They had a DJ support act, which I didn't get because he he could have just played a, a playlist over the speakers. There was no need to have a DJ on the stage whatsoever, and I felt so bad because I posted pictures of the show afterwards, and the DJ contacted me and said, "Did you take the pictures of me?" <laughs> and I didn't. And I feel really bad about it because I wish I had it done. Um, but uh, no, so it was them, obviously, um, minus um, your man that kicked out. So it was just a oh, man, yeah. 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 And it was an excellent gig, I think, uh, as you probably would have expected. They're a very tight live band. Beach Ballroom's a good venue. 
um, they, the show was kind of three parts. The, the start, they kicked off with all the kind of songs you'd, you'd recognize from, from you know, uh, from Kasabian. The middle part dragged a bit. They played a couple of songs from their new album, The Alchemist's Dream, or whatever it's called, which I'd heard and were okay, but again, nobody'd heard them. So the masses at the front kind of went hmm. at that point and headed off to the bar. And then the last couple of songs on the encore, uh, once again, kicked in with all the big beats. The, the beats ballroom is not the best of sound, though. And at some points, the bass was just going right through the floor into your feet, and it just overtook everything. Um, but as far as the show, it was great. I mean, Serge is a good front man. He actually didn't play guitar all the time. He kind of just came around with a microphone. They had another guitarist who did bits and pieces. They had a keyboard player. Couldn't really hear what he did, to be honest. A lot of time in the mix, but uh, certainly a good show. And I think, you know, they obviously played Nebworth. They're doing, I think, they're supporting Liam Gallagher and Hamden. Stuart, you're going to that as well, I think. So Yeah, I'm excited to see them perform as a, as a, th- a three-piece. Um, they had an extra they... guy. No, there was four of them. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't know how they would how they would do it without um, uh, Tom. Uh, I saw them a few years ago, and they were incredible live. Yeah. And I kind of thinking back to it, I kind of realized how much they were like him and Serge were kind of double heading this at the front. But yeah, um, yeah. I, I've seen it before, and I, to be honest, I didn't miss Tom. I just thought having Serge was good. So, um, but what does annoy me is that uh, given the price of beer at gigs these days, people can afford to throw them up in the air. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, no, super. I did enjoy it. I didn't. I was going to buy a t-shirt, and then they were thirty quid. And I thought I'm not paying that for for the. Uh, yeah, that's the going rate, though, Terry. It's it's thirty quid for with everybody. I know, but it looked like someone your mother would have designed or something on a, on a t-shirt. It didn't look like very worthwhile sort of thing. So so I didn't do that. But certainly, yeah, very good. I think the masses enjoyed it for sure, and uh, yeah, that was good. Good. So uh, I um, was at uh, the uh, probably the most notorious and weird gig yeah. of the year. Um, I was at um, Jeff Beck in Glasgow um, uh, going back a couple of weeks on, on the Friday. Uh, I'm a kind of long-term um, Jeff Beck fan and I have seen him play before. And uh, this concert was definitely uh, kind of overshadowed a bit by Johnny Depp. And uh, at least put out of a misery you know, a couple of days beforehand and that we knew he was going to turn up. It was just a question of when he was going to show up. Um, and uh, the, the the crowd at the gig was definitely uh, a bit divided. So you had all the old fogies like myself um, there to see the, 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 the main act. And then you had definitely some younger folk um, uh, there to see Johnny Depp, including <laughs> one guy dressed in full Captain Jack Sparrow regalia, uh, who, who was uh, standing up every now and again, shaking hands with people and waving to the audience. And, uh, I, you know, I did hear one or two people saying, is that is that him? Is that Johnny Depp? And obviously it wasn't him at all. Well, <laughs> if it was, it was very, very unusual to wear that the, kind of gear. So did Depp come on and off, like come on for a couple of songs and go off, or did he come on and stay on, or...? Well, we got uh, probably about an hour's worth of um, Jeff Beck before he he uh, he, he turned up. So uh, essentially, what happened was um, uh, Beck went through, I suppose, his kind of usual set with things like Star Cycle, which is the uh, uh, theme music from the Tube. Uh, you remember that one, Terry? Absolutely. And you know, it's kind of usual covers of uh, uh, Billy Cobham's Stratus and Nitin Sony's Nadia. And, and uh, then he did some other covers. He did um, a Beach Boys one, um, uh, Caroline No. And um, then 
his last track before Johnny came on was Brush with the Blues, which is his kind of slow blues, which is like really kind of centerpiece of the set for me. So Depp came on and uh, it was uh, quite interesting because he got a decent reaction to start with. But then uh, he they, they started off playing um, uh, this new song about Hedy Lamar, uh, which is obviously a bit pointed in terms of his own um kind of uh, experience of uh, celebrity. And uh, he, he then stuck around for a couple of songs. He, play, he played rhythm guitar and he sang. So they did a cover of um, John Lennon's Isolation. And then it was a Dennis Wilson um, song, uh, Time. And then they did Marvin Gaye, What's Going On? And then at that point, uh, Beck announced that, um, you know, that they'd been uh, playing together over lockdown and, and whatnot. And that they were actually doing an album together had already been done and would be out next month. So that kind of explains probably why um, he, he was there and I suppose tolerated for so long because he must have played for about uh, seven songs. Uh, wow. Some of the Beck fans weren't happy. There was a few of them walked out because they're obviously there to see Jeff Beck, not this guy. And uh, there was a protest outside, um, you know, over the, uh, the court case. And it, it was just, the whole thing was just bizarre, I think would be the best way of describing it. Um, you know, the songs then became more about Johnny than they were about right. Jeff. And um, that kind of put a bit of a damper on it for me. What was he on which... for? And uh, did he come on for that as well? Or did he not yeah, he came back on uh, and it was kind of like, Jesus Christ, here he is again, you know? <laughs> <laughs> They like, did they like announce him when they were like, and here comes Johnny Depp to play, or did he just kind of saunter on? Well, he just kind of, he kind of shambled back on again, certainly for the encore. So they did um, um, uh, Jimi Hendrix's uh, um, Little Wing, and then they did a Killing Joke cover, the, the Death and Resurrection show, uh, Resurrection show, and then they ended with a Sirita cover. I think that one was... Um, Back on his own because uh, we've we've ended as uh, lovers, and then there were another. There were, yeah, there was. They did a day in the life, the Beatles song, mm-hmm. um, which um, you know it's mainly guitar instead of a vocal. Yeah. On that one. But uh, but I think to Johnny Depp seems to be. I mean, approved again because I, I just noticed in the last week there's been a lot more of his. What's that advert he does for Sauvage where he plays guitar? Your Sauvage. Yeah, that's been on a lot. And then I, I noticed that the song he did with Hollywood Vampires, which was with uh, Alice Cooper, was in the download chart, his cover of Heroes. So, and they're talking about him doing movie roles again. So, yeah. It's yeah, a very quick 180. Um, huh? It's a very quick 180 on yeah, everything. I, so. I, I don't really understand it. Yeah, well, without getting into the, the details, the, 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 the case, I mean, it, you know, it, it seems to me it was a pretty dysfunctional relationship and that probably that, that you know, case should never come to court in the first place. But apparently he's now saying, um, uh, or uh, apparently suggesting that he's not going to pursue uh, Amber Heard for the money. And I, I think this is probably another part of the PR game. It's just just all think- of the press this evening. Apparently Nicholas Sturgeon is going to be announcing a partnership with Johnny Depp. Or the uh, Scottish Independent. <laughs> Johnny Depp in the Braveheart sequel. I think that's got... Oh, there you go. How to make a movie, absolutely. I'm just getting Nick Cave through the soundtrack. Yeah, Edward Scissorhands. Well, chopping up the votes. Absolutely, absolutely <laughs> perfect. 
<laughs> oh, one per- one person who whose nose was definitely out of joint, I think, was the support act uh, at the, the the gig in Glasgow, uh, which was Sharon Corr out of the Corrs, you know, the the violinist. That must have been support act, though. It, it, it was a bit strange, uh, and I, I think she was a bit nonplussed about Depp in there and maybe stealing a wee bit of thunder. Um, but uh, <laughs> it was just another weird part of a weird night, if we could put it that way. So I'm actually meant to check the, the next couple of gigs they've done, um, but I'm sure I'm sure Johnny Depp turned up at them all, actually, probably, no one that sort of thing. So, but, uh, well, as long as he doesn't turn up at the Stones in Vienna, where I'm happy enough for that. Like. Yeah, he's, he's definitely like a dog with a bone when it comes to playing live now. So I suppose he's probably not had much fun over the last couple of years, so he's definitely making up for lost time. No, I'm sure he, was, he probably doesn't need the money either, sort of thing. So, yeah. <laughs> Okie doke. Good. Well, Stuart, thank you very much for your contributions uh, on our humble little podcast. And um, uh, Party Cherry, we're big in Australia again. Yeah, so I got a notification today from uh, say that we, we charted in the Australian Top 50 podcast, so I have no idea how that's happened or why that's happened. So I think we haven't talked about Australia or mentioned Australia recently, or there's no rugby on at the minute with Australia. So, um, so dear knows, but I'm happy for that. So uh, yeah. Malaysia, Finland, Norway, India, Ireland, England, and um, now Australia. So global government. Oyster. You've got well, global oyster, absolutely. So, but uh, I thank you very much, Stuart, for coming along. Um, I'll, I'll pay you for this later, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll see you next time. See you.